Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. Today, I'm joined by my lovely sister, Ashley Rodig. In this episode, Ashley and I discuss her passion for art and how that passion has impacted the direction of her life. Next, we discuss the importance of sibling birth order in determining personality. From there, we talk about Ashley's love for travel and the impact her study abroad experience had in cultivating that love. We then talk about the trials and tribulations of having a COVID-19 wedding. Next, we talk about the newest addition to the Rodig family, my niece Lydia, and how motherhood has impacted Ashley's life. We end the discussion talking about the future and the outlook for our planet and country over the coming decades. Outros for this and all episodes available at entangledpodcast.substack.com. Please enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Entangled. Today, I'm interviewing my sister. Ashley, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Jordan? I am doing excellent. So excited to have you on and talk a little bit about our time growing up and uh, who you are as a person. So with that, maybe why don't we kick it off? And if you wouldn't mind, just giving the audience a little bit of background on uh, who you are outside of my sister. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sure. I am Jordan's older and wiser, much wiser older sister. And I um, live in Northern Kentucky with my husband, Derek, and my nine-month-old daughter, Lydia. I am in the arts. I have worked professionally as a color retouch and editor for photography, product, and food, Um, and now have recently transitioned into more of kind of a project management role, and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) yeah and so to kick things off you know seems like art has been one of those really constant themes um throughout your life and so i'm curious when did you really discover your passion for it um well mom our mother always tells the story that when i was younger i would come home from preschool or a play date or whatever and i would demand that i needed to color I would say, I need to, I need to color, you know, I can't be bothered. I think I've always kind of just had a creative juices flowing through me that I needed to get released. Like it's kind of my mm-hmm. happy place. It's something I never get tired of doing. I do it in my downtime, in my pastime. I kind of sometimes am doing it and I don't even notice I am. And I always kind of tell people now that I feel like I look at the world in a different way. Like I see things differently. Like you and I could be standing on vacation together. We've done this, like standing, looking at, you know, whatever China temple we're looking at. And all of a sudden I feel like we both take a picture and my picture is completely different than yours, which is also completely different than our sisters. And I just feel like I kind of view things differently than everyone else. And it's just such a, cool way to kind of, especially with photography, that I'm able to capture that and then show the rest of the world what I see. That's really cool. Do you think that that's always been a natural talent of yours to view things from a different perspective? Or is that something that you've had to cultivate over the years? 
No, I think it's more instinctual. I mean, I think it just has to do with kind of how like my brain is made up. Like I think, you know, you are such a logical person. Like you start at point A, you go to point B, you end up at point Z. And I look at something and I instantly want to do it backwards. I, you know, like I love starting at Z and figuring out how to end up at the same result. Like I never take the path most followed. And I don't know why, like, it's not a resistance. It's not a rebellion. It's just, I think with my brain, I love the puzzle of it. I love trying to finagle a different way to do it. Hmm. That's really cool. Um, and what do you think it was about photography specifically that attracted you? You know, honestly, I don't, I don't really know. I love capturing a moment. I love trying to quickly explain a situation, whether it's stop motion, whether it's the character on someone's face, whether it's the sparkle in someone's eye of a portrait. Like I love that. Like it's kind of this moment frozen in time and Mm -hmm. then your viewer gets to see exactly what you saw. And I think I also grew up in the age of the dark room and actually like developing on in a, you know, in larger in the papers and putting it into the chemicals. And it was something kind of magical about in this very dim lit mm-hmm. room. And you think you have something great, but you're only looking at it at this teeny little 35 millimeter inch negative. And then you put this piece of paper into the chemicals and you sit there and agitate it. And then it slowly kind of reveals itself before your eyes and you get to like see it for the first time bigger than, you know, 35 millimeter. And it's such a fun way to see like oh my gosh like it really did work whatever i saw i was able to capture and then i was able to reproduce for others to see huh that's so cool and it's so funny you say that i mean i haven't thought about a dark room since high school probably and it's so funny how like that's just the process is so different today i mean have you found that you uh i don't know that the process for you is different as you've evolved from dark rooms to uh digital Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it completely changed the way everyone shoots. I mean, when you had to pay for each photo that you took, you took less photos. I mean, it was like pretty crazy to take three of any, you know, like, okay, well, like smile. Mm-hmm. And then you took three, like, wow, that was such a waste. I can't believe you burned three whole photos on the same smile. And now think about every selfie, every group shot. Any stranger you ask on the street, you know, they're going to take 15 of you and then you're going to look at them and decide if you like those and then have them take a few more. Like, because at this point, there's they're free. It doesn't matter. You just delete them. They're just data out in the world. And so everyone, you know, I think I just read some statistic that like the average National Geographic photographer takes like 14,000 photos or something. It was like something so crazy. That's insane. Yeah. That like, but again, like if you're trying to take a picture of an alligator or trying to, you know, something that's hard to do, you're going to, once you do actually get that alligator to show up, you're going to just hit rapid fire and, you know, hit a ton of photos and then you see what actually works and then you just delete the rest of them. That's the glorious part. Yeah. I have whole vacations that I thought, well, I didn't really like any of those. Like delete, you're gone. Because I try not to keep anything because I think it's wasteful to just keep storing and storing and storing all these photos you're never going to look at. 
but it's just, it's a completely different way than when I grew up and you had to go then take your little roll of film to the Walgreens and you had to have it developed and then you got to see your pictures and then if they were bad, then you would just throw them away as well. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's made photography less special that it's so easily accessible? Absolutely. I think that, I mean, I think unfortunately everyone has decided that it's like a lesser craft at this point because everyone thinks, well, I have a camera in my phone. Like, why should I pay X amount for your picture when I could basically take that? Because before no one had, you know, that's what separated the photographers from everyone else is that they had invested in the equipment. They had the cameras, they had the access to the dark rooms, they had the chemicals and the papers and everything that you needed. So if you wanted a nice family photo or a nice picture of your dog or whatever it is, you had to go to these skilled artists to get it. Well, now people think, oh, hey, I was on this walk and I took a picture of my dog and I think it's great. I'm going to blow it up and put it on the wall. So I feel like it kind of cheapens the art form because everyone thinks theirs is just as good when really... It isn't. And when you, you know, again, like you taking a picture and me taking a picture and, you know, our sister taking a picture, all three pictures are going to be different. And I would hope that mine would be a little bit better than both of yours, just because it's my career and it is what I went to school for. And, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think that's such a great point. Um, and so you talk about going to school for it at Ohio University. What's up, Bobcats? Yeah. Hey, um <laughs> uh, so was that uh, one of the main reasons that drew you to Ohio? There, uh, uh, was it was it visual comms? Is that what your major was? Yeah. So um, what Ohio University had, which is why I went there, is a it's a business degree through the communications college that's in visual communications. So instead of fine art, which is what most colleges offer to for photography. OU had a fine art photography, which is kind of what I like to lovingly call the art freaks. They're like the eat the paste people. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and I just honestly have never really identified as one of those people. Like, I don't know, like you went to mm -hmm. Wyoming, you know, like, I feel like our high school, art kids were cool. Like we weren't, you know, in most high schools, I feel like the art kids are the weirdos. They're that kind of outcast and they're a little bit different and they kind of stick to themselves. Whereas I feel like at Wyoming, everyone took art. The jocks took art, the cheerleaders mm -hmm. took art, the, the everyday person, like everybody took art just because it was kind of part of the normal curriculum. And so when I decided I wanted to go to school for it, I definitely realized that I didn't want to be at a school that I was only affiliated with the art freaks. Like, I knew that I wanted to be with people who had a business mind, who were planning on making careers of this, who weren't going to be these like starving artists in a studio, you know, wearing the paint all over their shoes, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Which nothing wrong. I love that there are those people out there. I just am not, I don't identify as one of them. So anyway, long story long, oh, you had this great program that kind of, gave you the trajectory of here is how you make a business of your skill. And if you haven't been to Athens, Ohio, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And so on my college visit, 
I interviewed with the school because you had to get, it wasn't just a normal um, acceptance. Like if you got into OU, you got into this program. This was an additional round of applications. So I went and interviewed for the VizCom program, saw the campus, realized it was such a great fit for me. It was a little bit outdoorsy. It was a little, it was a little college town, but that wasn't that far away from home and in-state tuition, which is always good. And so mm -hmm. I just kind of decided it was the right fit for me. That's great. And what was your college experience like? Um, I had the best college experience ever. We, um, I was so fortunate. I, at OU, you have to live in the dorms, both your freshman and sophomore year. And I had a random roommate my freshman year who could not have been a better match for me. We basically were cut from the same mold. Everyone would meet Ann and I and think there's no way you guys were randomly assigned. How is this possible? Um, so I had this wonderful roommate and we lived in this teeny little dorm that ended up being full of the most wonderful people. And I became best friends with... Um, two other girls from my dorm and then we decided to live sophomore year there's one dorm that's uptown that's right by all the bars and it's like the quintessential best dorm to get into and so the two girls and i who i became super close with were able to get into that dorm and we are like move-in day basically met our neighbors who became our other three best friends. So there was kind of the six pack of us that for the rest of college, we were inseparable. We were the best friends that ever was. And we just had so much fun. We got our work done, but we also partied hard. We were uptown all the time, going to all the bars. We would go to Stroud's Run, which is like a beautiful state park that's right near Athens. We just had the best. It was just like one of those typical small town USA, beautiful Appalachian college experiences. Yeah. And Athens is just such a, a beautiful city, like you said. And uh, it reminds me a lot of Bloomington, too, where I went. So, like, I think uh, we were, we, we ended up being drawn to very similar kind of style colleges in that sense. Yeah. Like, I think, I think it would have been. Cool, I guess, to go to like an OSU or a UC where you're in a city and there's all these things happening around you. And it's just, I feel like that's just a very different college experience and it would have been very cool, but I kind of loved being out in the middle of nowhere and knowing that on a Saturday night, there was only a few options on where you were going. You were either going uptown or you're going to someone's house and there was no you know, other options. So that's where everyone was. And mm -hmm. I kind of loved that everyone became more of like a family that way versus being scattered all throughout a city. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. It's very much of like a, a community feel. Yes, exactly. And that's one of the things that was so wonderful about Athens and was another great part actually of my major. So Nikon, which is a camera manufacturer, has a really great relationship with Ohio University and they, especially with my major. And so they always were offering, like there was basically a closet of 
equipment that you could check out for free at any time. Like if you wanted to try a different lens, if you wanted to try a different light, you know, they had it all there. And so that was another mm -hmm. main thing that I kind of thought was so cool because it was this small, like my major only had probably like 30, maybe 40 kids in my year. And they had this amazing closet at your disposal that you just kind of could check out by writing your name on a piece of paper and then you took it with you and it just was like such this community like oh hey you borrowed that could I try it what do you think of it like there was a lot of kind of shop talk about it all and did you feel that your classes also helped to cultivate that creative instinct that you always had um actually not really as much it was interesting I thought like I again like our high school was such an amazing art driven high school that I actually felt most creative in high school. I felt like I was pushed mm. from my, you know, again, like the community, like the other kids in my classes really pushed the envelope and challenged the creative level to something that I actually didn't get as much of in college. I think it was just, Coming from Wyoming, you were never going to recreate that. It was pretty amazing. I didn't realize how elevated our program was until I left it. And that's not to say that OU didn't have a great program. It just the people I was with didn't push the envelope as much as we did in high school. That's super interesting. Yeah, I think they were just a little bit safer. Like, again, like it was it was to go and be to learn how to make yourself a business, how to run yourself. as. Uh -huh. Uh, company versus in high school, you know, you're just working towards that week's critique. And if you said, oh, I have this crazy idea, I'm going to, you know, take pictures with the lights off and just use a projector onto a, someone's body. And if they came out terrible, it wasn't the end of the world. Whereas in college, everyone was kind of like, well, I have this assignment and it's only one of like five for the whole quarter. So I don't want to mess it up. So I'm going to just like do what's safe. Hmm. It makes me think of Top Chef. Oh, yeah? How so? In the sense that, like, they always are looking for the ones who are, like, really pushing the envelope, but then you always have the folks who are like, no, nah, we're just going to play it safe and make sure we make it to the next round. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. I always get um, annoyed when the Top Chef people are, they, like, recreate something that's already on their menu. Oh, I, I saw this. Uh -huh. in <laughs> well, that wasn't really the point. Like, the point was that they wanted you to be creative and, like, gave you these, like, weird random rules and ingredients. And they, like, wanted you to push the envelope versus, like, making a recipe that's tried and true that you know is good. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Do you still watch it? Um, you know, I, I uh haven't recently i can't remember when i stopped watching it i need to get back into it i think the biggest problem is like <laughs> honestly since i've been like streaming i don't really know where anything is anymore oh <laughs> that's funny yeah <laughs> you still watch it i love it back to high school yeah was was our mom your our teacher most of the time or did you have numerous art teachers um no my our mother was my art teacher for uh Every single class I took, I think I had another art teacher for computers, like computer graphics or something, whatever it was called, one year or like one quarter, but that's it. Interesting. Do you think that you felt pushed more because 
she was specifically pushing you or do you think it was more just the environment of Wyoming? No, I don't think she pushed. I think if she had pushed me, I probably would have like rebelled against it just because that's what high school girls do. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, No, I really like, I give her a lot of props for not like she she never required me to take classes. She never pushed me. She never gave me any easier grades. Like I had to work for all of my, you know, A's just like everyone else in the class. But no, I think I always wanted to take the art. Like it was always, how uh-huh. could I get that elective into my schedule versus being felt like I was forced my into it? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think that also uh, has always been a little bit more your personality, right? I think like if Karen and I had been in more of mom's classes, I think just naturally we probably would have clashed more just because, you know, we're... We uh, tend to be our own worst enemy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and so on that point, I'm curious, you know, as the middle sibling, do you think that you, you know, I've taken maybe on more of the, the peacemaker role uh, out of necessity, or do you think that's been always kind of naturally your, your personality? Um, I think a ton of who we are is our placement in the family. I think... Um, actually, Derek and I have been talking about this a lot lately uh, because we have a daughter now and it's amazing. Like first sibling, like the first kid in the family, it makes complete sense why they are the way they are. They're very often kind of the narcissist, look at me, I'm the best kind of kid. And of course they seem like that because for however many years until the next sibling shows up in any given family, I mean, there are so many nights where Derek and I are like both on the ground playing with Lydia, trying to teach her new tricks, trying to show her how great she is, clapping at her every little coup. And so like they grow up thinking that they're the best. They think that everyone wants to look at them. Everyone wants to be around them because they were like that for however long they were the only child around. And then that second kid comes around in any family and they never have that same experience. They will always have an older sibling that mm-hmm. steals some of the limelight from them. They will never be the only kid in the room. So I think just kind of growing up, and I feel like I'm a little bit of a different situation just because I was our dad's first kid, but we do have an older sister who is technically our half-sister, even though we would never, ever think of her that way. But I feel like she was always a part of my life. Like she was, I never, never knew life without her. And so I was always kind of having to be a little bit more chill. Didn't get to nap exactly when I needed to nap. (laughs) No, I didn't get like, I like always growing up, mom would buy you something and then two of whatever the other thing is for the girls. And often it would be a blue and a red thing. And I always had the kid take the red thing because Kara always got the blue one. And, you know, growing up that way, I just learned to not care. Like, I'm just never that invested. Invested isn't the right word. Because, like, I do. I have a lot. I care about a lot of things. But I also feel like I really try and be amenable. Like, I try and just, like, go with the flow. Whatever you need to do, other people need to do is fine. I don't really care unless I care. And that's kind of the way, like, like Derek always knows. Like, I am fine Unless it's something that I tell him, like, no, like, I definitely need to do this or want to do this. And then he knows that I really mean it. 
And I think it's all stems from kind of growing up and having to be the second and be like, all right, well, that's fine. I, I wanted to go here, but you chose there. So we're going to. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't get the benefit of being the baby where you just get away with murder. Right. Exactly. Like you, I feel like we're kind of in a sweet spot where you were the baby and you were the only boy. And mom kind of was like, well, I don't know. Maybe this is just how boys are. And I also feel like you have this like bizarre way of like convincing our parents on whatever crazy idea you have is. <laughs> and like, it's so bizarre to me. I'm like, well, I don't know. Somehow he convinced them to buy him a condo and let him go to a different high school. And like, they were just going to live in this condo for a few days a week. Like, I don't know. I feel like you can pull off things like that. There's no way I would ever, I would ever succeed at. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, is and is Derek the second of four? Is that right? No, he's the middle of five. So that's why we get along. Okay. I, okay. We really relate to each other well because he's kind of the same go with the flow, stuck in the middle kind of sibling. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's funny. Yep. And and so you know back to. Um, our high school, we were talking about Wyoming, and for clarity, it's Wyoming is a suburb of Cincinnati, not the state. Very uh, often confused <laughs> sentiment. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, really, really incredible school system and community that we got to be part of. And, you know, I think it's really unique that both you and I have maintained many of our best friends to this day of, you know, our classmates from that time. And so I'm curious, you know, what do you attribute that to? Um, I, I don't know. Like, I wish, I wish I could put my finger on it because it's such a magical thing and so wonderful that we both have these friends for, I mean, I was in the fifth grade, you're what, 11? Is that, you know, 10, 11, something? Sounds right. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're 10. So I have had, you know, best friends now for 26 years. And that is amazing as a 36-year-old to say. And it's just such a, I don't know, again, like I don't know if it comes back to community. I don't know if it comes back to just that I happen to find these girls that I related to and are my bestest friends so early on. But I don't know. It's the special sauce of Wyoming. Like I think because you're all stuck in this 2.4 square mile or whatever it is town that you kind of have to have every elementary school experience, every first kiss, every mean girl, every note you passed in class that got caught by the teacher. And then you went to high school and you had every experience of proms and dates and then dating other boys and then dating their best friend and then flip-flopping with your best friend and their best friend and everyone dates each other. And I don't know, Mm -hmm. it just kind of some... (laughs) somehow it just you end up on the other side with these friendships that are so thick and so binding for life that sometimes it's almost a detriment like I always my high school friends now have a larger group that you know since college they've brought new people into the group here and there and the other people always say like I can't believe you girls joke around like you do with each other and you're so mean and you're so harsh to each other. And it was like, no, that's, we're not. That's just (laughs) from knowing someone's in and out, every deepest, darkest secret and being able to 
kind of like make fun of them in the most loving way possible. <laughs> That's hilarious. I've actually gotten that exact same feedback around the way that really my high school friends and I make fun of each other. Yeah, really. See, okay, that makes me feel better because I'm like, gosh, are we just the mean girls? Like, I know, that, <laughs> I know that was part of a problem at one point, but I know <laughs> that you boys are the same way. I just feel like like it. It comes from love. Like you only mean it in the most loving way because you've had so many years of so many good stories to bring up about them. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think people, how do, how do I put this in a PC way? I think, you know, society today would be better off if people were more receptive to being caught out on their shit as opposed to getting offended at the slightest perceived offense. Yes, for sure. Yes, I think, you know, at this point, it's almost, we've almost made it impossible to give anyone any kind of critique or improvement recommendations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, uh, like, so, some of my high school friends, they will put me in my place, but it's like, it's good, right? You need that. <laughs> exactly. What do your high school friends all think about this new passion of yours? Do, have you met any resistance or are they all supportive? No, they've all been pretty supportive. I mean, I think some people are just naturally less receptive to it just because they don't, they, they haven't explored it themselves. So it's just harder to talk about, but I haven't really seen anyone like necessarily uh, anti, anti the spiritual movement. Yeah. Are any yeah. of your high school friends as into it as you are? Um... Yeah, actually, I, uh, not, I mean, not any of my close friends, I'd say, but, uh, but I interviewed Graham's older sister, Gretchen. I haven't published that one yet, but I mean, she's, she's been on the consciousness train for like 10 years before me. So it was, it was really cool getting to chat with her about it. Oh, very cool. What parts do you yeah. guys agree on? Uh, you know, I think, uh, a, a lot of things from a broad strokes perspective, but, you know, I think two two kind of core pieces of it is one the uh just the the nature of consciousness right as the fundamental element of everything in the cosmos and and us all being part of one united form of consciousness you know whatever you want to call that god the unified field whatever um so i think that's probably one of the major elements and then the second is candidly just the the power structure behind the global uh economic military and um and uh fossil fuel industry right and, and kind of who's truly pulling the strings on the direction of global development i think we we've shaken out on pretty similar views on that front interesting that's very cool yep yep so and I think the reason for that is because the deeper you get into the nature of consciousness, the more readily apparent you recognize why the message has been so avidly suppressed. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and it's funny too, just thinking about like Wyoming too, right? And you talk about it, you know, being a school where like art was cool. And I think it's, you know, even transcends just art. Like it was just a, a community where it was not 
And of course it was clicky. I don't want to make it up to not be that, but if, but like it felt very much like you weren't defined by being good at school or being good at sports, right? Like that. It was a much more um, flexible, I guess, social structure than a lot of other high schools would have been. Yes. Um, and so, you know, talking about uh, the college experience, you know, one of the other cool things that you and Karen and I all had in common was uh, the desire to go study abroad. And so I would love to chat more about, you know, what uh, that experience was like for you and, and why that was something you wanted to pursue during college. So as a second child, I was kind of following in my older sister's footsteps she went to Miami University and discovered that they had this wonderful study abroad program where they had an actual campus in Luxembourg. And so all of their credits were perfectly uh, exchangeable, if you will, with their other, with their campus in Oxford. So I kind of always knew that it was this great program that was well located in Europe where you could get to all these other countries. And my parents basically said, this is the one you're doing if you are going abroad, which I really think you should, because it will expose you to the world and let you see so much. So I kind of knew like at the start of college, even that that was my plan for junior year. So I saved all of my art history and all of the poli size and anything that I knew would transfer equally to save all of those prereqs and use them my junior year because I knew I wanted to graduate in four years and I didn't want this study abroad semester to kind of get in my way. So anyway, I did the study abroad through Miami University and it was indeed a wonderful, amazing program. I met great people. I traveled every single weekend I was there started off with a Greek sailing trip for a week and then hit, you know, I think it was like 12 different countries and 40 different cities or something outrageous. But it was just such an amazing, deep exposure to so many different cultures because Europe is so unique in the fact that like, you know, when you're traveling from Ohio to Texas, Yes, there are differences. Sure, people have different food interests and there's different cultures and there's different dialects, but you still know you're in America. Whereas if you go from Luxembourg to Amsterdam, which is, you know, what, a five hour train ride, maybe? Yeah, it's been a long time since I've done the trains, but I feel like that was about five hours. Um, they, It's completely different. It's different languages. It's different foods. It's different drinks. It's different like the culture is just completely different in that small of uh, distance. And it was just so amazing to have this opportunity to get to do that every single weekend for three straight months. And so it just kind of exposes you to how many different people there are in the world and how amazing this world is and how many things there are to see and how many you know, things are to eat and to drink and art to view and sceneries and vistas to take in. And it just kind of wets your palate and makes you never want to stop and makes you just want to see every inch of this earth, makes you want to see every touristy, every obscure, every everything. And you just kind of, I just thought it was such an amazing opportunity that we were given by our parents kind of pushing us to get out in the world because 
you know, there are people, there are tons and tons of people who have never gotten on an airplane, who have never left their state, who have never left their town. And that's great and fine for them. I'm just so glad that I was kind of exposed early on to having no borders and to experiencing the world in the biggest and best way possible. So now I want to only ever see more of it. Yeah, that's so cool. And I also think it's really cool that like, although our sister went to Miami and I went to Ohio University and you went to Indiana, it's kind of this like one thread that binds us all together because you did the same study abroad program that Kara and I did. Yep. Yeah, that was such a really cool unifying uh, unifying thing that all three of us got to do. So I'm really excited that, you know, we got to share that memory. Yes, same. Were there any places you visited in particular that really resonated with you? Um, of course. I mean, there was the, the Greece sailing trip to start off with is, you know, such a like amazing memory because school hadn't started yet. You're just meeting all of these people, especially me. I knew one person going into this whole thing. So everyone was new. They kind of, you you fly in through Charles de Gaulle. You have like culture shock of like, here's Europe at like the most extreme airport ever. And then you end up in Greece and they have these like five, 10 person sailboats all lined up. And they just say like, get on a boat and we're going to take off. And so then for the next five or six days, I don't even remember how long we were there. We just sailed around to these like small islands in Greece and you would party all night and eat and drink. And then you would fall asleep and you would wake up and the sailboat was already sailing and you were out in the ocean on your way to the next island. And then you'd stop midday and they all the boats would kind of circle up and you'd get to swim with everybody and hang out. And then you'd load back on, get to the next port, shower, get cute, get ready to rinse, repeat, do it all over again. So my Greece trip was amazing, but for more of like a party social environment than like there, than to do this culture and experience the world in a bettering myself kind of way, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was still a wonderful experience. And then I always say like, I loved, we went to Sweden for a weekend and I think I loved it so much because it was uh, around Christmas time. It was cold. It was like the quintessential Swedish, you know, whatever you would imagine it to be, it was. And it was also just really cool because by that point, everyone, even in your little groups throughout the weekends, we were all kind of going to the same cities. Everyone would, you know, I'm doing Paris this weekend. Oh, I'm doing Amsterdam this weekend. You know, you kind of like hit the same ones that were easy to get to and everyone just kind of took their turn going on their weekends and very few people ended up going to Sweden and so it was very cool to kind of get to experience new terrain and like come back and report to the rest of your like classmates what it was like and if they should go or not so I really enjoyed Sweden and then we did our uh winter break we had 10 days off and my two of the girls that I traveled with a lot, uh, the three of us went and did uh, Italy. And it just was, you know, Italy has the best food and the best art and the best men and the best, you know, like beautiful vistas that you can look out onto the ocean. And I just really, you know, 
there's only good things to say about Italy. <laughs> <laughs> I have to imagine that's partly why you and uh, Derek planned your honeymoon there. Yes. So, you know, pending everything goes okay. We, two years after our wedding, are finally ready to take our honeymoon. COVID really messed us up in many, many ways. And then being pregnant and having a newborn didn't really work out for honeymoon. <laughs> um, so yes, the new plan is we are hopefully this year going to try and take our honeymoon. And so Derek, my husband, is of German descent and he loves that he is German. So he's always, always, always wanted to go to Europe and go to Munich and experience Germany. And I said, that's great. That's fine. I love Europe and I would love to do more of Munich. But if we're going Europe we also I get to pick some of the days and I pick Italy we're going back to Italy and I can't wait to show you Italy and experience it so we're splitting it up and doing Italy for part of it and Munich for part of it that's so cool so I'm really looking forward to you know showing him I'm hoping that he loves it as much as I do we've been binge watching every Italian food show, every Italian art show that we can find just to kind of prep and make sure we are ready to see it all. That's so great. Um, and you mentioned, you know, all the hassles of going through a wedding with, with COVID and how, you know, that really screwed up your plans. So I'd love if you could just talk about, you know, what that experience was like. Was like. Yeah, sure. So we got engaged in 2019. Um, everything was fine. We were planning we got engaged in a, the end of April, and we planned to have our wedding the following May, so just a little bit over a year engagement, and everything was running just fine, and it was, you know, we were going through and planning things and making arrangements, and it's interesting, you know, mom definitely had her thoughts and her ways of, and her opinions about how she envisioned some of the things, and there were some things I really cared about and some things, again, as the second middle child, I didn't care about, so I was fine with. <laughs> and it was all fine. And then March happened and COVID hit. And then, you know, we were all thinking, oh, well, that's fine. I don't know. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then it got a little bit closer and May was rapidly approaching. And I mean, I think I was holding out. Like, I was really like, it was April something. And I was still like, guys, it'll be over. It'll be over by next month. It'll be fine. And then we finally kind of came to terms with the fact that I was like, no, this is totally going to mess us up. We can't pull this off. So then again, because we, I was so convinced it was going to be short-lived, I thought, all right, well, we'll push it from May to July. Like, give, them, give it two more months. It'll be summertime. It'll all be fine. Now that it's July, let's go ahead and just move it outside. And so, because everyone will feel more comfortable about that. And it was, I mean, this was before masks were even ever a requirement. This was, you know, just like, and it was still very beginning. When you look at the chart, by the time July hit, it was a quote unquote spike, which looking back at the chart now, it's like the smallest little blip. But at the time, it was one of the <laughs> biggest spikes that we had. And so even though we had moved everything outside and we said that people could wear masks if they wanted to, but we weren't requiring it, a lot of people weren't willing to come, which was fine. And, you know, like one thing that COVID did 
he's kind of let me never ever even get close to being a bridezilla because <laughs> it wasn't an option. Like I didn't have the luxury of having opinions that I really cared about. Like once COVID hit, mom and I both kind of threw our hands up and it was no longer an opinion of like who who gets to pick this and who gets to have to like settle for it, whatever. It was just like, what can we do? What can we get done? How nice of a party could it, can we do it with the situation that we were given? So it was a little bit freeing to like not have the stress of making it the most perfect day ever. It was like, that was gone. Like that was no longer an option, but Derek and I knew that we didn't want to reschedule. We didn't want to push it again. We didn't want to not be married anymore. We were ready to be married and we knew we wanted to start a family pretty quickly. So we didn't want to waste any more time. So we kind of just said, whatever we can pull off, we're just going to do. And, you know, there were things that we would have changed and there were things that went wrong. And at the end of the day, no one knew it and no one cared. And everyone who was there luckily didn't get sick at all. And so we had a wonderful time. And at the end of the day, we were married. And that's really what the important part is. And so we succeeded. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And you got a little Dunkaroo uh, in the pool at the end, too. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It was um, (laughs) middle of July in Cincinnati. So it was approximately 4000 degrees. (laughs) And um, where our outside location was at this tennis club that uh, our family has belonged to for years and years and years. And the dance floor kind of overlooked this huge pool that was closed for the evening, obviously, but um, all throughout the night as everyone is just like sweating their makeup off and dripping through their dresses, they just kept looking over and going, oh my gosh, that pool looks so good. I just want to get in that pool. I just want that pool. And so finally, when the band finished their last song, we decided that fence to the pool is pretty low. <laughs> I think we I'll go ahead and jump over it and jump on in. And uh, yeah, a lot of the wedding party, including you, Jordan, did. (laughs) That's awesome. It's one of my favorite pictures from the entire day. You know, we like pay this super fancy photographer to take all these classic, wonderful pictures. And one of my favorite pictures is from the end of the night on someone's phone where we're all like dripping wet and... It's just like such a great part of the day for me. Such a great part. I mean, such a beautiful day all in all. And uh, it and, and it is such a fun, like, totally you way to uh, wrap it up there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and so you talked about, you know, knowing you wanted to start a family shortly after the marriage. And so clearly we have to talk about the coolest girl in all of Covington, Kentucky. That is, of course, Lydia Rodig. <laughs> yes, Miss Lydia, the girlfriend. She, um, yeah, she's nine months old and has just changed our life for such the better. I mean, she, we can't imagine that we didn't have her nine months ago. She kind of rocked our world in the best way possible because she just kind of shows up with this beautiful awesome smile on her face every day like she got I feel like the best parts of both Derek and I like Derek's such a morning person where as you know I am absolutely not but you know every morning she is just like laying in her crib smiling kicking ear to ear grin waiting for you to come get her and she's just so happy all the time she's also so chill like Mm -hmm. our pediatrician they're like is she always like this I'm like yes 
Yes, she is. <laughs> this, is just, this is who she is. She's like this wonderful little creature who is so interested in the world. She loves outside, which makes us so happy. And because she grew up in COVID times, I mean, she never went into a store until she was seven months old. I mean, she only knew the outside. Yeah. It was our house where it was going on walks and that was it. So she is absolutely at one with nature. She sits at the window if it's too cold to go outside and just looks. I mean, she's mesmerized by our American flag flapping in the breeze. She mm -hmm. will wave at every dog that walks by. You know, she's just such a sweet girl because she's so interested in everything, whether it's a toy, whether it's a new friend. She knows no stranger. We were at Skyline the other day and she was like, making friends with all the waitresses. I took her to get coffee one day and there was a table full of five firemen, these like burly police officers and firemen drinking coffee. And I'm just holding her in my arms and I see her smiling and waving at them. And I turn and look and all of them are like, hi baby. <laughs> it's like all gummy mush. Because she just has that way about her. She can make anyone love her because she's just such a sweetheart. Yeah. And I'm obviously incredibly biased, and I will own that. <laughs> and so has, um, has having Lydia changed anything about the way you perceive life or death or, or anything on that, from that perspective? You know, not really... She's still so little. I think all of that will kind of hit later when, you know, she still can't even talk and she doesn't have all of, you know, she's not moving on her own yet or anything. But I do think that it's so interesting to think, you know, I'm like sitting there with her in the bath or whatever. And I just realized like she already has all of her babies inside of her like females are born with all of their eggs they're ever going to have hmm. so like all of my grandkids are already in her which is like so mind-blowing to me to think about like i just started this next generation but soon we will be mom and dad's age and she will be our age and we will be having the next generation and so that's kind of mind-blowing to think about and it's pretty cool though to know that like you're keeping this chain alive you're doing more you already we are starting to see oh that's a Derek trade or that's a me trade and she's gotten it and so that'll be cool to see that continue to trickle down yeah that is so cool yeah it is it's really cool and it's just it's uh, she's at such a fun age right now where like everything is she's learning new skills every single day and she's discovering new things and so i think once that kind of stops is when you're like wow okay so this is like real life and mm -hmm. now like like I always say like I'm not really a mom I just have a baby like like I don't have to like teach her about the world yet and I don't have to explain to her about life and death I just get to like wake up and play with this amazing baby mm -hmm. every day mm -hmm. but I know that that's coming and that will be so real when it does hit yeah and then you know to our earlier conversation when she's got a sibling you know, the time for playing is cut short because you're trying to keep the other one from, you know, diving right. in the pool and killing himself or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, it's kind of like this. We're in this, like, amazing little bubble right now that is this, like, euphoria. But eventually we'll have to kind of, it won't stop. It'll just adapt. Yep.
Yeah. So over the last couple of years, I mean, you've gone through, you know, crazy wedding with COVID. You bought and completely <laughs> renovated a house. You had a kid, started a new job. Like, has, it, has that been overwhelming at all? Um, yes, for sure. It was very overwhelming. But I think it honestly was all happening at the same time that I wasn't able to even freak out about it. So I think if I had done one thing at a time, I think the, the biggest problem some people have, and I've actually noticed a lot of people struggling with this um, during COVID, is like if you have too much time on your hands to think about any one topic, it becomes problematic. Like getting in your head too much about anything is a danger. So luckily, I never had that freedom. I kind of was dealing with the house renovations and then also dealing with finding a new job. And then while... I was trying to find a new job. We were planning the wedding and it was just like, you know, there was always such overlap that I was kind of at this point, there's so much craziness going on all the time that it's become the standard, but I really am only ever able to focus on like today. Like mom's always like, well, have you thought about like what your plan is for the wedding that's in two weeks? And I'm like, no, I'm not there yet. Like I got to focus on today because I have like five fires to put out today with my life. And then in a week I will deal with what the plan is for that, whatever thing I have. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, there've been some really big, really crazy things. Like you said that have kind of all happened in the last two to three years, but it's kind of just, I don't, I think I've just gotten again, like it's the new normal. I've gotten so used to it that I, don't remember how easy life used to be. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, you're just you're forced to uh, you're forced to be present because you got so much on your plate in a sense. Yeah, but it's kind of good because then you know I definitely don't get bored. That's for sure. And there's always things to do. But I also think like it pushes you, like mm-hmm. body in motion stays in motion, kind of thing. Like if I just sit down. I'm kind of like, oh, like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing for the rest of the night? Like, this seems weird. Like, don't I have another freelance job or don't I have some house, something to clean up? Or I don't know. I just feel like once you're in motion, you just kind of stay in motion. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Have you noticed at all, like, living alone during COVID, like it being at all a struggle? Hmm. You know, I think at first when like everything was completely locked down, it was, which is why you know, it was good that I uh, came back to Cincinnati. Um, yeah. But outside of that, you know, not really, because I mean, in the summers, like it was the nice thing about Denver, winters too, right? The nice thing about Denver is there's just so much easy outdoor, outdoor. things to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, that I think, you know, we were really in a nice position where it, it didn't at least feel as... Uh, lifestyle changes i think in a lot of other places it was absolutely no that makes sense um and i mentioned about you know the fact that you uh remodeled your house renovated your house and everything and that seems to be another um art form that's really uh drawn you particularly in more recent years right is is just like uh home renovation and home decor so i'm curious like what is it uh about that that you think has always been uh so interesting to you yeah, for sure. That's definitely like, I would call it like a passion of mine. Like I don't, I'm not educated on it. I don't, I mean, I do a ton of like research, but I don't, you know, I never did any 
art classes or any of that stuff in directly related to home design. But I just think it's, again, it's an art form. It's like the puzzle pieces. Like I was telling you how my brain just kind of works and just solve these puzzles. I love to try and piece rooms together in my head. I loved looking, walking through this house that we were buying and trying to figure out, okay, is this wall connected only to this other wall? Could we take it down? What else would be in between? How could we get more square footage in this room? Kind of, it's like the math problem of it that I just find so intriguing. And I love that it's something, it's the art piece can be completed. And, you know, like our, I feel like our sister is way better at this than I am because I think like, okay, we've done our whole house. We had to basically take it down to the studs. We redid the whole thing. We kept all of the character we could. We refurnished, we repainted, we re-everything, and now we're done. And I feel like our sister has done the same thing I did with her home, but now she's never done. She's always redoing the rooms and changing it all up. And I am worried that I'm going to like just sit with these same things forever because I'm like, no, we did it. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I just love, I love the mixing of it all. Like I know a lot of people's style is the Crate and Barrels or the West Elms where you can go in and you look at the whole room that they've shown you in the magazine and you pick these two chairs and that couch and it's like all works together and flows nicely. But I feel like my special sauce is that I, again, I don't do the norm. I work it my own way and I love to piecemeal it all together. Like, oh, if I buy, buy these vintage chairs and then rip them all apart and remake them myself and then I find this, piece of 200 year old wood from Derek's family's farm. I can make a credenza out of it. And I love that my house has more of an eclectic vibe. And I also, I feel like because as we were talking about earlier, like our families have always encouraged travel. I feel like for years and years, I kept acquiring, I kept collecting all of these wares from Mm -hmm. all of our travels. And I always lived in like 800 square foot apartments that I was renting and I never had anywhere to showcase any of it. So a lot of it just sat in boxes in the basement. But I feel like now I have this home with all these bookshelves and all these wall spaces that I can kind of display it. And it's all of these memories. It's like my friends. I'm like, Oh, I love that piece. And I'm so glad it's here. And I love looking at that bowl every time I walk by and it's just kind of a fun way to make your house part of your life. Totally. That that makes so much sense. And I mean, I'm at the point where now I've been in you know apartments for the last, basically since college. And so I'm like, I'm ready to have a little bit more space to, you know, like you said, like yep. have, have space for the art and all that. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's, it really, I think like helps, helps your like mental state, honestly. Like, I feel like it's so calming to me to kind of look around and see the labor of love. And like this was, this was literally blood, sweat, and tears. Mm-hmm. Lots of them from me. Lots of blood from Derek. You know, like, <laughs> like, it was not the easiest path, but like we both, I think, love our house so much more because of it. Like we just were so invested in it because we know the effort it took to get it to where it is. And, you know, we're just like so lucky that we had the opportunity to kind of take on this house that needed so much love but still had so much of the original character that we just could like bring back to life. Cause I feel like so many homes, I mean, in our neighborhood specifically, like there are so many people flipping them 
but they go in and they rip every bit of character out and then they like throw up the same gray wall paint in the same subway tile blah 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 and it's just like a cookie cut they're turning them into cookie cutter homes and i'm like that's not why you buy these old homes that's not the point the point is for the crazy random wall that is bowed and is you know like two inches shorter on one side because that's how the person laid it a million years ago and i don't know i just i think it's such a fun thing to have gotten to do and now we just feel so lucky that we get to live in it that's awesome yeah and it's funny i mean i noticed the same thing in denver like every apartment complex going up it's like the exact same layout the same amenities the same like I don't yep. know, boring, almost corporate looking style. It's like, come on. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know why people are like afraid. It's, well, it's not, there's the resale value. Like if you go too crazy, then people aren't going to want to live there, blah, blah. I'm like, what is that? Like no one, I mean, no, I guess not true. A lot of people live in them, but like, I just feel like people want to live in a place that kind of has some pizzazz, mm-hmm. like something going on, but yeah, uh, maybe that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there's anything to the whole, like, idea of feng shui? For sure. I, again, like, that's not something that I have done a ton of research into, like, knowing the proper, like, feng shui aspects. But I absolutely can't handle, like, the whole feng shui of, like, you know, it has to be higher on one side going upward. You know, like, going low to high when you're walking into the room versus high to low. Like, that kind of stuff, I just think, is it more instinctual to me? Like, if uh-huh. I'm putting some trinkets on a shelf, I, like, can't handle it if it's not in the feng shui position. I just don't actually know that's what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, I just think it looks better that way because it weirds me out for it to be the other way. That's interesting. So just kind of something you've picked up over time. Yeah, I think it's just, it's also because I, like, you know, I follow all these people on Instagram and I look at all these interior uh, design books and I just feel like I'm so familiar with like what looks good because that's what they say looks good that I'm like oh well, I know I know that rule because I just know that that's what it makes it look better <laughs> <laughs> that's cool and so as you think about you know the future and what growing up for Lydia is going to be like I mean what do you think about what, what do you think the next you know 10-20 years is going to bring for our country for our community. I mean, any, any views there? Um, yeah, it's terrifying. It's I, that's like the scariest part about having a child, specifically a daughter in our state. Currently, I just feel like it's so like, I feel almost selfish that like, I know, like I brought her into this world for me. Like I wanted a kid and I am so excited that I get to have her and play with her. But like, I just, the world is evolving and I'm not sure it's evolving for the best and I don't know what it's going to be like by the time she is older and ready to engage in it and it frightens me a lot because I don't I don't love the trajectory that we're kind of heading in but I mean like unfortunately I just kind of sometimes chalk it up to like it's out of my hand like I don't know what to do about it I can't stop it but I don't like it yeah no I get that and I think uh I think that's a pretty common feeling, right? To feel like the, the, the problems we're facing with climate change and, you know, more, I guess, uh, social and economic issues and strife, like it, 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 the magnitude of the problems can just feel so overwhelming for people. That's like, how do you even start in correcting it all? 
Exactly. Right. Like how, like, you know, I, I try and do my part. I try and be like the recycling guru and try and encourage people to like, not do, you know, I have people who still were using styrofoam plates in my life. So, you know, it's like, yeah. I'm trying to do that, my kind of my part, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know how to take on the bigger things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I get into, you know, those, the similar thoughts, what, what gives me comfort is that, you know, you look at the long history of human civilization. I mean, we've, you know, you're in our generation living in the United States over the last few decades, like, I've had it pretty damn good, right? And so it, oh, sure. it's like, in a way, it's just all about perspective, right? Like there have been uh, so many tough, tough times for people. And yet, you know, that indomitable human spirit has found a way to power through and, and get, you know, to the other side. Yes. And that's my hope. Or like, my hope is that we like can cure some things and fix some of these problems by the time. I mean, if we don't start dealing with the like global warming I mean, like they keep doing this threat of like, it's coming, you have to do your emissions, you have to fix this by 2030, whatever it is. And it's just like, they can't keep like, we can't just keep not doing it. Yeah. Like at some point, we really got to just absolutely deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the, uh, that elephant in the room, right? He's not going anywhere. <laughs> right. It's not going anywhere but also like i feel like they've been crying wolf for so long that people are like oh yeah yeah the world it's fine i kind of like it warmer blah 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 i'm like no you idiots like oh it's not the way it works well you know um with that said i think uh a lot of changes are going to be coming in the next you know decade or so like we said so it'll be it'll be interesting to see too with like just the rate of technological advancement right i mean you think about when we were in high school, you know, for me, I think iPhones were just becoming a thing. I think you're in college at the time. Like, it's it's kind of crazy to think how far we've come in so short a time. So, extrapolating oh, that forward, yeah, like where where will we be? Who knows? Right, and that's why, like, you know, I'm trying not to like get too invested in like, oh gosh, like, well, I want Lydia to be on TikTok. Well, I want her to even, and I'm like, it won't even be a thing yeah. in five years. Like at the time she's, <laughs> That's true. you know, it's like the, things are evolving so quickly that it's like, I, I don't even know what I'm going to be worried about uh, by that point because it hasn't even probably come out yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about too, like, uh, I think it applies to investing as well, right? Like, you know, we try to underwrite for all these different scenarios and then bang, you know, the biggest thing in the last years is this, COVID-19 pandemic, right? Like it's something that no one saw coming, wasn't expecting. So it's just kind of like, you kind of just got to learn to roll with the punches at the end of the day. Exactly. And like, again, it's like my wedding, like this is just life. Yeah. Like, you can only prepare for so much. You kind of just have to like be okay with whatever else happens. Well, Ashley, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you coming on tonight to, uh, to shoot the shit. This is, I uh, just, you know, really enjoyed chatting with you here. Absolutely. It's been great to um, catch up with you and let um, everyone else hear what you and I talk about <laughs> on our calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, well, thank you for having me on. I do appreciate it. Absolutely. So much fun. Give Derek and Lydia my best and have a great rest of your night. Okay. Thanks. Love you. You too. Love you too. Thanks everyone for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. I wanted to end the show with a message to my wonderful 11-month-old niece, Lydia. 
Lydia, I hope that when you're old enough to listen to this podcast, you can tell how much your mother and uncle love you. As this episode is published in mid-2022, there appears to be a broad sense of pessimism around the trajectory our planet is headed. The scope of the problems faced by society today appears so insurmountable that it's understandable most people do not feel empowered to solve them. That said, I hope that as you grow older, you'll consider something which I've come to believe wholeheartedly. That namaste is not a metaphor, but rather a fundamental truth of our universe. I recognize the divine spark within you, which is also in me. You see, the potential unfolded within each of us is infinite. The potential for love, for imagination, for creativity, and for harmony is truly infinite. The only thing that stops us from achieving this infinite potential is our own self-limiting beliefs. Do not let your fire go out, spark by irreplaceable spark, in the hopeless swamps of the not quite, the not yet, and the not at all. Do not let the hero in your soul perish in lonely frustration for the life you deserved and have never been able to reach. The world you desire can be won. It exists. It is real. It is possible. It's yours. For the adults listening to this who have a special little one in their lives, I'd bet that you can look in their eyes and know without a shadow of a doubt that they have unbounded potential for greatness. Yet then why when we look in the mirror do we not also recognize this unbounded potential? It's not that we have lost the spark of the divine inside of us, it's just that we've forgotten it. It's been buried by a lifetime of others telling us, or worse, us telling ourselves, things like, you're not good enough. You're not worthy of love. You can't get healthy because of your shitty genes. In a world this screwed up, you don't have the power to make a difference. This world is meaningless and we're all going to die anyway, so what's the point in trying? But you see, that is the lie. That is the lie. That spark of the divine exists and will persist in each and every one of us, no matter how dark things may appear on the surface. Do not let your fire go out, spark by irreplaceable spark. So Lydia, I hope you learn to see through these lies and never doubt your intrinsic potential for one second. I hope you learn sooner rather than later that just because someone occupies a position of authority does not necessarily mean that they have your best interest at heart. And that no man ever has dominion over any part of your mind, body, and soul. Most importantly, that your potential for greatness is limitless. Do not let your fire go out, spark by irreplaceable spark. But for now, Lydia, you just have to focus on having fun, on growing up, on seeing all the love in this world. I hope you never forget that most people in this world are good, that a simple smile can make all the difference to someone, even if it's hidden behind a mask. Us adults, we've got a big responsibility in cleaning up this mess we call society. But I also view it as a blessing have this opportunity to change the world for the better. And you and your cousins inspire me daily to do my part in manifesting a brighter future. With that, I'll leave you with a Shel Silverstein poem. The Voice. There is a voice inside of you that whispers all day long. I feel that this is right for me. I know that this is wrong. 
No teacher, preacher, parent, friend, or wise man can decide what's right for you. Just listen to the voice that speaks inside.